So you just met Dave, uh, and uh, just so you know, we, uh, we did a lot of vetting. Uh, we always do if we're hiring somebody, but, but Paul had to fill out this, this big old questionnaire when we hired him many years ago now, it seems like. Um, and Dave had to fill out this same questionnaire, and one of the questions that we include in this fairly lengthy questionnaire, there's doctrine and there's biblical, you know, lots of stuff, but one is, what have you accomplished in life? And, and in that question, we write in there in parentheses, be honest, we're not looking for humility, and that one question uh, it really exposes a lot about somebody. Some were really hyper-spiritualizing it, um, and those we kind of just put to the side. Uh, you'll find out from Dave as you get to know him, but his answers were really good. He had some real, real things in there, and I bring that up kind of to, to intro what we're looking at and how we're going to start going through the book of Nehemiah. But it's important, again, as we're adding to our organization and any organization as they are growing and they want to accomplish things, who is it they look for? They look for, for doers, people that can accomplish things. Uh, if you've read any of the books, um, The Advantage is a great book. Uh, Good to Great is a great book. They really talk about getting the right people um, and people that can accomplish things. And so the question that I have for you is who does it that God, who, who what kind of individual does God use to accomplish great things. You might be familiar with the parable uh, where the, the steward comes before uh, the master and, and does a good job with what the master has entrusted him. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, how can we hear that when we stand before Jesus in the end? How can we hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I want you to consider the process maybe of your salvation um, or maybe you're brand new to Christ and, and this is going to be perfect for you. But what happens when somebody comes to know Christ? You know, there's kind of a standard discipleship process where uh, you, you recognize sin in your own life. You say yes to Jesus. Uh, you confess, you repent, uh, and then you're baptized. That's part of the process. Uh, you start reading your Bible. The Holy Spirit will start convicting you of sin uh, and you agree with them and you want to get rid of it. Uh, you'll probably start attending church, maybe get into a group. And God does these things. And I would ask, why? You know, in this process, why? And we see here in Scripture in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, these are some of my favorite verses, it begins talking about salvation. It says, for by grace you have been saved, through faith, and not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. So we're saved by grace. It's a free gift based on what Jesus did on the cross. But so what? Did he save us to make us religious? Did, did he save us to make us now behave and be good people? Well, the next verse says this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So the reason God doesn't just save us and take us to be with him because he could is that we would stay. He has good works for us to do. That's why he's left us here. You and I have been saved in order that God could do good works through us. Now, I think it's important to note that God does a work in a heart before he works through a heart, but God works through people. And so if we were together, I would have, to have you raise your hand. I'd ask the question, uh, do you want to be used by God for great things? And if your heart belongs to him, there's at least a piece of you that would say, yes, I want to be used. I don't want to just be a, 
a good person. I don't want to just be religious. I want God to do great things through my life. And as you read through scripture, and I want to point this out before we get into it, he uses people in all aspects of life, not just missionaries or pastors, but I'm talking uh, mothers, craftsmen. We can go down the list of those who God uses for great things. But as you study scripture, there are some consistent things in those people that God uses for great things. Again, you see it in scripture and you see it through history. And we are beginning the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. And actually today, we're not even going to jump into Nehemiah yet. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles, which is the book right before Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, so go, grab your Bible, open to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Now, if you did your homework this past week, you read some of this. If not, you're going to read a little bit now and maybe this week do it. But we're setting the stage. We're setting the stage, again, to find out what type of person does God use. And in this series, as we go through the book of Nehemiah, if you are honest with God and you open your heart, you will get the tools needed to grow in Christ and to grow in your usefulness to God. You'll grow in joy, you'll grow in peace, and all these things. You'll get the tools that you need. And it doesn't matter where you are. You know, it doesn't matter if you, you just said yes to Jesus this week. Maybe you said yes to Jesus 20 years ago, but you've fallen back into sin. And this series, Nehemiah, is, is rebuild, restore, renew. Wherever you're at, you can start now, and God can take you through the process to where he'll use you for great things to, in the end, we could stand before him and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, the question I have as we begin is, if this is true, that God wants to use us to do great things, how is it, why is it that so few Christians really get to experience that adventure, that wonderful life? And I think it comes to a certain extent to us as Christians and apathetic Christianity. I think we fall into several categories. The first would maybe be this group that says, I'm going to heaven, I'm satisfied with that, so don't mess with my life. Now, if this is you, let me read to you what Jesus would say. He says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take their cross, daily, their cross daily, and follow me. So the idea that I'm a, I belong to Jesus, I'm saved, but I don't really want to follow him, I don't really want to be used, that's not the normal Christian life. That would be an aberration. If that exists in a, in a heart, that is not normal. And so I would encourage you, you know, check your heart there and see maybe you're in group two. And I would say most of us might fall into group two and hopefully moving into group three. But group two, those that hear this, okay, God wants to use me for great things. Sounds good, but I'm not sure I'm good enough. Or, or God uses these other people, these way more spiritual people, uh, these way smarter people. I have a past. If you knew the sin in my past, you know, God can't use me. And I think a lot of us fall into that category. But as you start to look at scripture, you see the people that God uses. He uses prostitutes. He uses murderers. He uses tax collectors. Holy mackerel, he can use anybody. And so as we see, you know, God can use any of us. And then I hope we get to group three. And group three would be those who say, okay, that sounds good. How do I do it? How do I do it? You know, Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said this, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So to move from group two to three doesn't take a whole lot of faith. Just, just a little bit, just a little bit of faith saying, yes, God, I want you to work in 
and through me. So how? And so that's our question. What type of person does God use to do great things? Who is it that God will work through to do great things? In 2 Chronicles, we're going to read one verse. One verse in 2 Chronicles 16. This is uh, King Asa. He was a king of Judah. He started out great, uh, did some wonderful things. In fact, what he had was there was a, a great battle. These kings came out against him. He was outmatched. And what he did was he turned to the Lord. You, you'll read this in 2 Chronicles, I believe it's chapter 14. He turned to the Lord and asked God to show up and, and place his faith in him. God showed up, did great things. Later in Asa's life, he, was, he had time of peace. Uh, God blessed them. And then he was encountering another enemy. And this time, instead of turning to God, he turned to a foreign nation and paid them money. He gave them gold to come into their defense. And so God, through one of his prophets, spoke to Asa, and he says these words in 2 Chronicles 16.9. He says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Take a minute and read that again. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Or in the ESV, it says those whose heart is blameless toward him. What if that were true? Stop and think about that a minute. Right now, 2020, Carson City, Wherever you happen to live right now, the United States of America, maybe you're overseas, what if that were true? What if right now God is just kind of doing this, scanning the earth, looking for those who he can strongly support? Think of a startup organization. You know, it could be a startup church, a church plant. We were a church plant four years ago. When, when organizations start up, what are they looking for? At first, they're looking for resources. They're looking for backing. They're looking for people who might have the right connections, uh, finances, all those things to, to put into this vision to make it work. Well, what does this verse say? It says that God, the one who owns everything, is looking for people that he can put all of his resources behind. Who has better connections than God? Who has greater financial capability than God? I, I would want God to show up you know, rather than anybody else. And it says here that he is scanning the earth, looking for the heart that is blameless toward him fully, you know, says you are first in my life so that he can strongly support. God is not passive. God is not up there just saying, I hope, I hope good things happen on earth. God has a plan. Ephesians 2.10, he wants to do good works through us. He's already planned them and he's looking for the people to use. What if you were one of those? What if I was one of those? What if our whole church Bound, we're a bunch of those people saying, I say yes to God. My heart is yours. What do you want to do through me? God would do amazing things. And God is already starting to do amazing things in, in our church uh, and around it in, in the world. But what if he wants to use us? And what if he's not looking for the educated, the rich, the specially gifted? What if he's looking for normal people? When I, I would say for me, that sounds great because I'm a normal dude. If God uses normal people, I'm in. I can be part of that. And as we study Nehemiah, you're going to see God use beginning with one normal person and then moving on and do great things for his glory, just using people that say yes to him. Listen to this. This is in your notes. If you're a note taker, if you have the app, again, if you don't have the app, go ahead and get it. But God puts all his resources 
in support of those who place him first in their life. He puts all his resources in support of those who place him first in their life. That's amazing. Now, you may say, okay, that's Old Testament. You're looking at 2 Chronicles and Nehemiah. That's Old Testament. That's before Jesus came. Now God works differently. Well, in Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said this. And Jesus, to set the context, he's speaking to people who were wrapped up in the things of the world, saying, no, you know, I need to work hard to, to make money. I need to work hard so I can have food and clothing and all these things. And Jesus says to that person, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's saying the same thing. Place God first in your life and follow him. Let your ambition be about him, his glory, his kingdom, and his righteousness in your life and in others. Let that be your ambition, and he'll provide the things that you need. Those things will work out. So then why, why is it so few Christians, so few churches might experience this life? And this isn't in your notes, but write it down. A divided heart. A divided heart. Again, you look at 2 Chronicles 16.9, and he is looking for the heart that's fully his, yet if you're like me, you struggle with a divided heart. Look at our world. We have so much to distract us. We have so many things to focus on. We have a, a pie chart. And if you look at this, this pie chart, it, and it's, it could look like anything, but kind of shows how a lot of times we view life. You know, you picture this, this pie chart and you give a slice to family and you give a slice to work and you give a bigger slice to maybe whatever your hobby is, you know, and you could put your finances here and then God gets a slice. And, you know, and you can maybe think in that slice is going to church, is giving, is, is tithing, whatever it is, is being in your group, um, but it's just a slice. And so we, we can sometimes get this idea of a separation between secular and sacred where we do our God time and then we do our other times. What if, you know, and we still need to focus on work and family. Those are good things. But what if the God slice just covered the whole thing? That instead we looked at our family through a lens of God and how we can glorify him. We looked at work and our finances as this all belongs to God and how can we glorify him? That's how we can put him first. That's how he becomes first. We still do these other things, but then he overlays it all. Allow Jesus to be Lord of your life. God is searching for a heart that is completely his so that he can put his strength behind that person. Wow. Wow. Psalm 37.4. This morning, you know, I, I always Sunday mornings go back through, and this is a verse that came to my mind because you may be hearing this and go, that's great, but if I put Jesus first, God first, and seek his kingdom, then I'm going to miss out on the things I want to do. You know, I'm not going to get to do these things but in Psalm 37, 4, uh, the psalmist writes this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Listen to that. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. What happens when you place, yourself, place God first, place Jesus first, and you delight yourself in Him? He will change your wants. The, the sinful wants, the materialistic wants, he'll start to change those. And so then your heart will want what he wants and he'll give you that and you will he will delight in you and he will give you the things that your heart delights in because they're the same as his. He'll change your wants. And for him to be first, we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with him revealing things in our life that, that he wants to change. Again, uh, our problem is often a divided heart. Uh, Jesus 
At times, many times, people would come to Jesus and say, hey, I want to follow you. And he talked about that in Matthew 8. A man came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to stay. His point was, if you're going to follow me, you need a healthy detachment to the things of the world. You know, we as believers following Jesus, a lot of times we're asked to, to travel light. And so we need a detachment from material possessions. Another came to him and said, I, I want to follow you, but Lord, let me first bury my father. Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You know, again, we can read that wrong and be confused. Oh, how insensitive Jesus was. But his point was this. No human relationship can come between us and God. In fact, he would say elsewhere, if you don't hate father, mother, son, daughter, in comparison to his love for you, you can't be a follower. He's not meaning really hate. He's saying in comparison, our devotion to God should be so much greater than our devotion to any human relationship. That's what it looks like to place him first. In relation to money, and Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven, hell, and faith combined. He said this, you cannot serve two masters. That's it. You cannot serve two masters. And he's talking about money. Uh, that was going to be one of our studies this week as we go through. You know, how do we view money? If money is our master, God is not. You cannot serve two masters. If we're saved by the blood of Jesus, we're wholly devoted to him, and we humbly seek him, he will use us to accomplish his purposes. And we will experience a great adventure in this life, and in the end, hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So as we go through Nehemiah, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a guy whose heart is broken for what breaks God's heart. You're, you're going to see a man who's prayerful, a man who is willing to put himself out there, is willing to get uncomfortable. And you're going to see others come around this man and then go without this. And you're going to see God do something amazing. And we don't see miracles in this book. This is a lot like where we live today of how God will use us. Now, again, I want to encourage you, the way this starts, maybe for me, this, is, this topic gets me excited, you know, because Jesus said uh, he came to start a movement. He wasn't interested in just churches that, you know, sit around. Jesus's call was always, follow me, you know, follow me. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, it's exciting if we say yes to him, but it's also scary. It's also scary to consider what he might do if we say yes to him. But it begins by saying yes to Jesus in salvation. It begins by believing he died on the cross, rose from the dead for you, and saying, yes, I believe this, and I want you to be Lord of my life. That's where it begins. If you haven't done that yet, do that today. If you need help with that, you know, fill out our Connect form there on the app um, or there on Facebook. There's a link you can click on. We want to know that. We want to help you take that step. And then we enter this process, this adventure. You know, maybe you've been a believer a long time and you, you don't feel like you've entered that adventure yet because your heart's still divided. You still want these other things through this series. Maybe God is going to grab you and go, no, no, it's time to detach from some of these things and place me first. How exciting to see what God will do through us. You know, what if we all said yes? What if as God is scanning the earth, again, we say, what if this is true? The Bible says it is true. And he's looking for those hearts. What if he's, all of us watching this right now, he saw all of us and said, wow, look at all these hearts that are mine. 
I'm going to use all of them. What might he do? You know, what, what ill in this world might he fix just through, through this group? You know, how many children without homes would get a home? How many new foster parents might show up? How many of us might go into the mission field? I and mean, we can go through the list of the things God might place on your heart, on our heart, to do for him. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. What if you're one of those? What if our church is that group? It's exciting to see what God will do. So be prepared for what God will do in your heart uh, as we continue. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm encouraged as I read your word as I study scripture and I see the people you use, I'm encouraged because they're like me. Uh, a lot of them, they don't look real special. Uh, they don't look overly intelligent. They're not bursting with faith. You see them uh, fail, make mistakes, and God, you use them anyway. And I pray that, that I would be this type of person. Uh, I pray that we as a church, that all those watching this would hear this and say, yes, I, I don't want a divided heart anymore. Jesus, I want you to be first in my life, and I want you to use me for great things. I, I pray that we would move beyond being religious or spiritual or just churchgoers or just good people, but that we would move into this, this group that say yes to you, and you then put your resources behind us to accomplish great things for your glory, not our own agenda, your agenda. I, I pray that our desires would change, that we would just dream of and vision what you want to do that your heart and ours would be one. And then as we pray and seek you, you would show us these areas and then you would strongly support us because we're doing it for your glory. God, we're excited to see what you will do. I thank you for the book of Nehemiah. God, and we, we, we again ask through this whole series that you would work in our hearts and you would point us your direction. In Jesus' name, amen.